actually, I'm, I'm sort of amazed that I'm standing up here since I've never have to this church. And uh, if you laugh, you laugh. If you cry, you cry. But I'm going to share with you a uh, scripture, and it's Luke 22, 31 through 34. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail, and when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Then he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny three times that you even knew me. What was it that Peter saw when he looked into the eyes of the risen Christ? This morning, I'd like to tell a story of the resurrection through the eyes of Peter. He's not the hero. He's just the best supporting actor. Peter is not the key player in this story in any way, shape, or form. But Peter was a first-hand witness and exhibit A of the difference that the resurrection can make in each of our lives. Peter was standing beside Jesus when he said to Martha, who was heartbroken over her brother's untimely death, Peter heard Jesus say these words, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Peter watched a few minutes later as Jesus walked through that yard toward the tomb and said to Lazarus, Lazarus, come on out. And Lazarus rose from the dead four days after he had died. Peter was also there in name when Jesus approached the funeral procession and told the widow that her only son could live. And he told the son to arise, and he did. Peter was there in Capernaum when Jesus raised Jairus' daughter. Peter knew from firsthand witness that Jesus' command was stronger than death. And it's that same command that will wake up the ones that we love who have gone to sleep in Jesus. Peter saw the demons cast out. He knew that Satan was no match 
for Jesus' power. He knew that Jesus had the power over death, and he had been an eyewitness that Jesus was incomparably stronger. Peter saw all these things, and he knew that Jesus was more than a man. Peter had declared his faith that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter put his hope and his trust in Jesus. So the trajectory of Peter's future looked as if he were on his way to unparalleled greatness. Jesus had chosen him to lead the church. And yet, Peter still bickered with the others as to which one of them would be the greatest. Also, a dispute arose among them as which of them was to be considered the best, the greatest. We had a matriarch in the Brunswick church named Rita. She was so full of life and love and energy. It was just amazing. If any of you knew the Zorks when they were teaching at Auburn, the music program, this was um, Susan Zork's mother. Well, at her funeral, it became known that each of the children and each of the grandchildren had been told that they were Rita's favorite. She had told every single one of them, you're my favorite, you're my favorite, you're my favorite. So when she died, they all came clean and they all said, well, I was her favorite. Maybe it was the same for Jesus. Maybe he had made each of these disciples feel like they had been hand-chosen to do something amazing for God. Maybe each one of them thought, well, I'm his favorite. He, he trusts me. He loves me. He sees what is within me that he can develop. So all the disciples are going to experience a gut-wrenching testing in the next 48 hours as they see Jesus completely mistreated, beaten, spat on, and then die on the cross, and then they wait for resurrection morning. But Jesus has singled out Peter as a representative and as their leader. But I want you to notice something. Jesus has to, um, Satan has to ask before he could attack these disciples. Satan has to ask. So what does that mean? That means that God and Jesus are sovereign. And I was asking the kids at school what sovereign meant. It means they have the last word. They have the most authority, and what they say goes. Satan is real, and he has great power. And we must reckon with him seriously and soberly in this age. Jesus told us to watch and pray because he goes around like a roaring lion. But Satan must ask permission before he touches any one of us. Whoa, that's amazing to think about. There are not two ultimate powers in this universe. There is one. There is one God, and Satan has to ask 
before he does anything to harm you. Every single trial, every single testing can never make it into your life without passing Jesus' permission first. Jesus is the ultimate authority. Isn't that good news? Because he is worthy. He has the character to match the authority. He has the love and the grace, that marvelous grace, to match the authority that he also wields. And he is obviously stronger than the devil. And that's really good news. And his resurrection proves it. Satan was, had to ask permission, and Jesus gave it. Because Jesus knew the depths of Peter's heart. And Jesus knew that his own love and forgiveness would be stronger than Peter's denial and shame. He knew that this would not ruin Peter. It would soften him. It would make him a better man. It would make him a better leader. Satan wanted to prove that Peter was all chaff. Jesus wanted to separate the good and the bad in Peter and make him completely dependent on his heavenly father. The self, the chaff, had to be threshed out, leaving only that kernel of true faith and love that Jesus saw was in Peter's heart. The Lord has to break us down at the strongest part of our self-life before he can truly use us. So if you feel broken this morning, and I know many of you do, know that God has only allowed the devil to have at you because he knows how to turn it into blessing for you and glory for himself. God never wastes any pain. So, in verse 32, Jesus says, But I have prayed for you. I have prayed for you, singular. At that moment, even as Jesus was less than 24 hours from the cross, he was carrying Peter on his heart. Jesus was just an hour or two from Gethsemane, where he would struggle with his father about the mission he was going to be called to fulfill. He knows what's coming, but yet Jesus was not self-absorbed. That's incredible. He's thinking about Peter. And I'd like to insert an application here to us. Consider Hebrews 7, verses 24 and 25. It says, but because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. What is Jesus doing at this very moment? He's interceding in heaven. He is praying for us this morning. Is that good news? When Jesus rose and he ascended to heaven, he was not finished. 
with what he was going to do for us. He still took us with him into the holy place before the Father and pled his blood in each of our behalf. What does this verse promise to us? I love it says, therefore he is able to save, and then there's that descriptive word, completely. Are you completely saved this morning? If you are completely saved this morning, it's because Jesus said yes to his Father's will. It's because Jesus said yes to his Father, and then he ascended to heaven, and he is our defending attorney, and he stands in our place at the Father's throne. And if we ever have a reason to be grateful, it's because what he has done and what he is still doing for us and what he's going to do when he finally delivers us from evil completely. It's coming. We know the story, and the story says Jesus is stronger. He's able to save us completely. So, he is praying for you. And he especially prays for you when he knows that you are being tempted. You are on his radar, and when you are struggling, he still pleads for you. I will pray for you, he promised Peter. Well, Mark's mom and dad were prayer warriors, and they prayed for us and our kids every single day. And they were both retired and had lots of time. And sometimes they prayed for us two or three times a day. After they had both gone to rest in Jesus and Mark was grieving, he said to me one night, how are we going to make it now without their prayers? How are we going to make it without the prayers of my parents? Now, I believe that human intercessors are heroes. And I want to thank Donna and her prayer team for lifting up the names of each of our members every single day. But I have some good news of this day. If you don't have a single human intercessor who remembers you, if there's no one on this earth praying for you, you are still carried on the heart of Jesus before the Father's throne. He is praying for you. That is what he's doing since he ascended to heaven. And he lives forever. You're never going to lose this ministry. You have an intercessor. He lives forever. And you will never be without his prayers. He always lives he is our high priest. Is that good news or what? It is really good news. So when we are being sifted as wheat, remember this. God is stronger than Satan. Jesus Christ and God the Father do not just stand back with their arms folded in judgment to see if we'll be strong enough. Instead, Jesus applies his strength to our situation. They 
are giving us what we need. In Luke 22, verse 32, watch what Jesus prayed for, for Peter. He did not ask that Peter would be freed from trouble, sadness, sorrow, or temptation. He prayed that his faith will not fail. And when I pray for each of you, I don't pray that your life will be easy. I pray that when you hit hard times, your faith will not fail. That God will be with you and that he will strengthen you and encourage you to be all that you have been created and called to be. I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And Jesus is so completely confident that his father will answer this prayer because the next verse says, Peter, I know it's going to be okay in the end. When you have turned back, then strengthen your brothers. It's not, you're going to fail, and that will be forever, and you're no longer going to be mine, and I'm going to judge you, and you're toast. It's no. I am praying, knowing that you will turn back. That word actually means be converted. It means change directions. And when you have, then strengthen your brothers. Si Jesus knows that Simon will deny him three times. But Jesus saw beyond the immediate failure to Peter's ultimate destiny. Jesus is stronger than our failure, right? And when we fail, he still loves us. He never, ever gives up. He is stronger. In fact, he is so strong that he can take our failure and use it to help us grow, to become like him. The disciple who needed Jesus' strength is the one who is called to strengthen his brothers with compassion. And I love this verse. It comes from Paul. He says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So when you feel like a failure, when you feel weak, when you feel like the devil has just had a heyday with you, know that Jesus is stronger and that his grace is stronger and that he will rebuild your life upon his grace. You know, sometimes I get blindsided by sin. I think I'm being obedient and I'm just going about my work, and I think I'm depending on Christ. I even had my quiet time. And then wham, out of nowhere, the devil gets me. I fall flat on my face, and I have just blown it again, and I endure what I call road rash for my great fall. The road rash is how you feel about yourself after you've sinned. And it never feels good. It always feels horrible, like, I just let you down again. Why did I do that? So one day after a very spectacular failure, I was talking to God about why he'd let me fail when I'd been praying so hard. What, what I had shown up. I had asked for him to be with my day and to make me gracious and strong. And I was trying to honor him. Why, God, did you allow that? And the answer came deep in my heart. 
I heard him say, Colette, I'd rather have you dependent and humble and gentle than perfect. Oh, man. Because if we are not dependent and humble and gentle, we'll never make perfect. And sometimes God has to let us fall so he can remake us into the people he has created us to be. I heard God say, trust me to use even your failure for my glory. Even as you failed, you are never out of my sight. So trust me. So even in utter spiritual defeat, if we are in Christ, our end is secure. It's based on his strength, not our weakness. Jesus is not going to let go of us. He says, when you're so weak, you can't hold on to me. I still hold you by my strong right hand. If you love God and you are called according to his purpose, if you are despairing and you know you don't have the strength that you need and you're looking to Christ for hope, then this promise is for you. Jesus is praying for you. And he will never let Satan destroy your faith and bring you to ruin. Well, Peter is too big. His self is too big to hear this warning from Jesus. You would think that Peter would have learned to pay attention. He's been blowing it and opening his big mouth for three years now. Jesus is always wise, he's always kind, and he's always right. Peter should have known that. But Peter is so sure of himself. He's more sure of himself than he is of Jesus. Go figure. Lord, have mercy on all of us. So in verse 33, he replies, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and death. Yeah, right. And Jesus answers, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. But Peter still isn't getting it. He insists emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same thing. Peter started that evening with a resolute posture in the upper room. Even if all fall away on account of you, I will never fall away. Later in the night, he would single-handedly take on the high priest and cut off the ear of his servant. But before dawn, this big buffoon of a man wouldn't even be able to stand up to the stairs of a servant girl's in Caiaphas's courtyard. Sure enough, strong, brave Peter wimped out under pressure. Is that good news? You know, we all wimp out under pressure. We all say things and do things that we just cannot understand. And this is a story of the way Jesus treats people who wimp out. He wimped out not just once, not just twice, 
but three times. Three times he denied that he ever even knew who Jesus was. And before you judge him too severely, remember that there were nine other disciples who didn't even follow Jesus to the courtyard and to the trials. There was Judas, who, of course, was out doing other things. And then Peter and John went along with Jesus, and nine of them went back to the upper room and huddled there in fear. So, so at least Peter was trying to stay close to Jesus. Peter only followed into this dangerous situation because he really did love Jesus. He just caved in a weak moment. And we all have weak moments. This could have been me. Luke 22:60 says, just as Peter was denying that he knew Jesus for the third time, the rooster crow, crowed. And then this is one of the saddest verses of the Bible. The Lord turned across the courtyard and looked straight at Peter. Can you imagine being Peter and seeing, meeting Jesus' eyes? Jesus knew what he'd just done. And Peter remembered the word that the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. This is the penalty of sin. It's to face not the anger of Jesus, but the heartbreak in his eyes. And when you are tempted, think about gazing into his eyes and knowing that you have really hurt him. Very difficult. And then verse 62 describes this big, strong buffoon of a man going outside and weeping bitterly. And this, too, is good news because Jesus can use leaders or future leaders who weep bitterly, who understand what they have just done and hate themselves for it, who know they have blown it. Jesus loved him even as he was out there weeping bitterly. But the story gets worse because Peter didn't get a chance to make amends. Instead, he watches Jesus be beaten. He watches Jesus have to carry that cross up the hill. He watches as they nail him to that cross. And he hasn't even had a chance to say, I'm so sorry. Imagine. And if the story ended there, it would be a tragedy above all tragedies. But the story doesn't end right there. And it does not end right there for any of us when we fail. Because Sunday morning comes. And that's so wonderful. Peter will spend the next 36 hours buried under a mountain of self-recrimination. If only, if only, if only. What do you do when you fail a friend? 
after you've cried until you're numb, after you've replayed that failure over and over and over again with that intrusive thinking in your mind, after you've run yourself down and you can't think of any more bad names to call yourself, what do you do then? But here is the good news of the morning. Peter's denial did not keep Jesus from accomplishing his mission. Jesus was not dependent on Peter being strong to make it to the cross. Jesus could have appreciated someone being awake and praying for him in Gethsemane. Could have appreciated a hand on his back as he sweat blood. He could have used a familiar reassuring face at that trial in Caiaphas's courtyard. But Jesus didn't fail Peter when Peter failed. And he does not fail us when we fail either. Jesus was stronger, stronger than the denial of a friend, stronger than death itself. Acts 2.24 tells us this, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Jesus was stronger. Hebrews 2, verses 14 and 15 tells us that by his death, he destroyed him that holds the power of death. Yes, that is the devil. And he set free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. You know, we live in a society that is right now very preoccupied that they are mortal, that death happens, and they could be next. The fear of death is everywhere around us. But what do we know? We have been set free from the fear of death. Yay. And if we don't live that way, we miss something along the way in the story. We should be living free from fear and trusting in Jesus. Jesus is stronger than our sin, stronger than our fear, stronger than death, stronger than the coronavirus, and stronger than the devil. Whatever it is that you face this morning, whatever makes you afraid, I can say with assurance, Jesus is stronger. He is stronger than whatever it is you have to face. Mark 16 describes that when the women go to the tomb very early in the morning, they find the stone already rolled away. As they enter the tomb, they encounter an angel. And he says, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell his disciples, and do you see the last words of that verse? And Peter. Why did Peter need to be singled out? Because Peter, more than any of those disciples, needed to know that Jesus was alive. And Peter would hear that Jesus was alive and know that he then could go and make those apologies, make those amends, 
and that he would not have to live the rest of his life buried in shame and guilt. Go and tell his disciples and Peter. And this is one of the most encouraging verses in the whole Bible. I know I say that about a lot of verses. But Peter the denier was specifically singled out as the one who should have been told about the resurrection. This is a message to Peter the loser and to each of us when we feel like losers. Tell him, tell Peter, tell Colette that Jesus is alive. So the women were on back to the upper room and they delivered this message full of hope. But the men, being men, don't believe them. Peter and John run to the tomb to check it out for themselves. Yes, the tomb is empty, but an empty tomb proves nothing. Between the time that Jesus talks to Mary Magdalene and then between the time he saw the rest of the disciples, the risen Christ took the time for a face-to-face, one-on-one with Peter, who desperately needed to be reassured that he was still loved, he was forgiven, and that he was still welcome. Don't you just love the tender kindness of Jesus? He did not want Peter to suffer one moment more than necessary. Even the one who had just hurt him deeply, Jesus reaches out in gentle, forgiving reconciliation. And when Peter looked into Jesus' eyes, and he saw for himself that Jesus was alive, and that he had been forgiven, what else could matter? What else could matter? Even his humiliating failure meant nothing in the light of Jesus' forgiveness. 1 Corinthians 15.5 says, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried, and then he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And he appeared to Peter, and then to the twelve. He took that private one-on-one time, and he'll do the same for you and for me when we really need it most. What convinced Peter that Jesus had risen from the dead was not the absence of a body. It was his living presence. The living Christ filled Peter with a living hope. 1 Corinthians 15, 6 tells us, eventually more than 500 believers saw firsthand their risen Lord. And there was no silencing them. There was no stopping them. There was no bribing them. They had seen Jesus, and he was alive. They lived with a passionate hope in the Jesus that they knew without a doubt was now their living Savior. The fire that lit the boiler of the New Testament church was the unquenchable belief that if Jesus had only been a man, he would have stayed in the tomb. The earliest Christians could not stay silent about the fact that the one that they saw hanging on the cross now walked and talked to them again on earth. They were compelled to tell the world because they had personally seen Jesus. The fact that these stories are even recorded give us evidence that the scripture is truthful because it includes a leader's failure 
in black and white written down for the rest of you know, the generations to come to know. And it also tells us that one that is weak can become strong. The conversation between Peter and the risen Christ was a turning point in Peter's life. Seven weeks later at Pentecost, he will preach the boldest sermon in the history of Jerusalem, the bastion of hatred against Jesus, and 3,000 would be saved. They would form the nucleus of that church that Peter would be the under-shepherd for. In Acts 4, Peter would stand before Caiaphas himself and testify before the entire ruling council that it conspired against Christ. This time, he says it clearly that he believes in Jesus, that he knows he will confess his Savior without fear. And even when thrown into prison and threatened with death, he'll go on preaching and he won't stop. He just keeps talking about Jesus being resurrected. Something had dramatically changed about Peter. And when the people saw the courage of Peter and John, and they realized that they were unschooled, never went to seminary, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Nothing could make Peter afraid now. The very thing that he had denied that he knew who Jesus was, was now what his testimony was all about. The presence of the living Christ changed everything. And finally, as Jesus had prophesied in John 21, Peter would be crucified. Eusebius tells us that while they were putting Peter on the cross, he asked to be crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy to die in the same way that Jesus had. What kind of a friend inspires devotion like that? A friend like no other, a friend who prayed for him when he was weak and picked him up when he was down, a friend who forgave him when he failed, a friend who would heal the painful memory, a friend who loved him and believed in him, a friend who was stronger than death, stronger than fear, and now lived in Peter's heart. A friend like Jesus. A friend that Peter absolutely beyond any shadow of the doubt believed was the Son of God believed that the risen Savior, who died to take away our sins, a friend that lives again in all his power to make intercession for us.